coming up on the Doctorpreneurs podcast. As a Ukrainian, um, I cannot find the words what's happening because it's hard, it's insane, it's unprecedented. And it's a real war that one country is doing against another country. This is the Doctorpreneurs podcast. Hey, uh, welcome back to the Dr. Pranos podcast. Uh, once again, uh, you're with me, Dr. Lim, uh, and with my co-host, Andrew Mastrindonis. Uh, um, if you are uh, listening to us, we are available on all major podcast platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. And if you're watching us, uh, we're definitely available on YouTube as well. So do follow us, uh, subscribe to our show, uh, subscribe to our podcast as well so that you can get more updated content from us as we go along. So, Andrew, we have a very special guest with us here tonight. Would you like to introduce her? Yeah, we really do. We're, we have uh, Eugenia Shevchenko, um, who I got to meet uh, last summer or last July uh, through the UN Women Program. And uh, Pillar participated in this accelerator program focused on women and uh, focused on what we can do with the caregiving community as entrepreneurs. Um, and I think you're also more officially employed by Seed Stars. Is that correct? Yeah, definitely. I'm an employee of Seed Stars. Okay, and if uh, maybe you can start off by telling us a little bit about Seed Stars for our audience that may not be familiar with it. Yeah, absolutely. Hi, everyone. I'm Eugenia. My Official position as a platform manager at SeedStars. I also do events. So SeedStars is a Swiss-based company. It was founded in 2013, and our mission is to impact people's lives in emerging markets through technology and entrepreneurship. So the main idea is to organize program of growing for startups and partner with companies as UN Women, as you mentioned, and other banks, corporates, to be able to accelerate or incubate startups. It's one arm of SeedStars. As a second one, we do investments as well. So we are VC fund on the early stage, also emerging markets, and we invest in, in startups that are 100% technology-based and uh, are operating in emerging markets. So yeah, this is in the nutshell. So, so it's it really is mostly focused on emerging markets. It is fully emerging markets. Yes, we have we cover five regions: uh, Asia, Middle East, Africa, um, Central Eastern Europe, and Latin America. And how is the in terms of investing? What's sort of the geographic breakdown of where you've invested over the years? That's a very good question, but uh, we are very global and uh, we do not have like a focus, let's say. We have investments almost the same amount as in Latin America, almost the same amount in Asia and in Africa. We have less investments in Central Eastern Europe, even though we always say we are open to. But uh, yeah, super global. We have 80 portfolio companies and all of them based in, yeah, starting from Kenya, Philippines, etc. Yeah, we are everywhere. And I understand you're in Mexico City, is that right? Yeah, I'm currently in Mexico City. I moved here in September, even though I'm Ukrainian. But yeah, I decided some time ago to live here. And don't know if I'm going to still be here recently, but yeah, I'm in yeah. Mexico. Well, t- tell, tell us a little more about, about your story. Like, how did you end up in, in Seed Stars and, and what's your background like? Um, you know, just in case there are people that are interested to, you know, get, get in touch with you guys, find out more about what you all do. Yeah, um, absolutely. I, I, I'm very global. I don't even sometimes realize that because I'm Ukrainian that works for a Swiss company and lives in Mexico. So kind of a little bit random. But yeah. uh, I uh, graduated from university in Ukraine six years, studying international relations and in Cyprus, in Republic of Cyprus as well. And uh, since then, I always felt like I want to do something international. So I joined the fund and it was a memorials, Holocaust Memorial Center. Mm-hmm. I worked there for two years. We were trying to build the Holocaust Memorial Center in Ukraine. Uh, it never happened up until now. Hope the team will still do it one day. But I realized that I really love events and want to do something internationally. And since then, I l- literally found the Seed Stars job in LinkedIn. <laughs> super like a cold calling, let's say. And I was accepted in 2018. Since then, I've been doing a lot of pitching competitions events for 100 people in my region, in uh, Armenia, Ukraine, Russia, etc. So we were moving around. But then 
uh, I was um, more as a part of investment team, especially when the um, COVID started. I decided to like, okay, I need to change something. So I was leading the team of five um, event managers and they were traveling the world, but I was kind of a team lead. And in the end, as a part of investment team, I do a portfolio company support and also growth track. It's a program that we give startups as soon as we invest in. There is a three-month program for them to boost their growth. So I'm also managing this part. So it's been like a little bit all over the place for these almost four years at SeedStars, but it's a great journey. I actually did a SeedStars event as a as a startup in Singapore in 2015 with a former company. So uh, there was a young uh, French guy who was running it back then. I forget his name now, but anyway, um, so I have some experience with Seed Stars events, and they're they're really well organized events. Uh, so you, yeah. I give them a lot of kudos for that. So you're focused now on startups in Latin America now. What, what's kind of your role in Mexico, or are you um, working more globally? Yeah, that's a great question because Mexico is kind of not required by my work. I just decided to live here by myself. I just oh. felt that I really love the climate. I really love the people and the opportunities that Mexico offers. But uh, I can work from any part of the world. So it was just happened to be Mexico because I liked it. But I also, at the same time, I tried to go to uh, events here, uh, some like ecosystem events and talk to investors, uh, knowing startups, meeting with them. But it's not required because I'm like fully global and I'm part of the global investment team. And as I mentioned, I do a portfolio support um, and we have 80 companies, all of them all around the world. So I'm just talking to all of them at the same time. It's not right. connected to Latin America. Well, I lived in Costa Rica for eight years. So um, I, I love that part of the world. I love Mexico. Just a tremendous place. The food is amazing. The people are amazing. The, the culture is something. Um, so just briefly, what is your sense of the startup scene in Mexico? Um, I really see the huge growth and kind of the open-mindedness of being an entrepreneur and being a startup here, not only from um, the Latin Americans and like the Mexicans in this case, but more even like Europeans that want to come and or Europeans or people from US to come and uh, set up their startup. I have like a lot of friends, uh, startup founders here. Uh, FinTech is booming like crazy. We also invested in um, one company in FinTech in Mexico recently and we always like have an open eyes in Mexico as a priority as the market uh, and um, same with uh, Chile, Peru and Brazil um, so yeah I I also talk to some people and they say like what was four years ago it's not the same as it's now like we really can see the the startups and, and unicorns even and um, uh, VCs that are investing from US and from uh, from the region uh, startups are growing and uh, yeah it gives us a hope is there much support for startups in Mexico from the government and others um, I'm not sure I know like how the government supports, but I know that we especially, we do a program with the Mexican government, but it's also more dedicated to developers. Uh, so we're doing the program for developers on the growth mindset, etc. But I honestly, I don't know if they do like some startup visas or something like uh, from the government, but yeah, I, I have no idea on that one. It's okay. So these startups in Mexico, are they are the ones you've met targeting the domestic market or are they also looking at the US and other countries? So the the main mindset here for the entrepreneurs, they always say, okay, we are starting with Mexico, but we always know that if we're in Mexico, we're in the whole Latin America. So the first step is also lock, always locally. Uh, or again, startups in Peru think absolutely the same. And then they start expansion in other countries. And maybe in the future is going to be US, but the main, main goal is uh, the Latin America first. Well, well, I would imagine having a common language, you know, 90% throughout Latin America helps. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That's why if you're in Mexico, you're in Latin America. The, the startup yeah. scene, in, in as you described, kind of also reminds me of the Malaysian uh, startup scene as well. I think there are many startups in Malaysia and, and tech startups and fintech startups as well. A lot of blockchain startups here that are booming. Um, and uh, and the climate and the food here is fantastic as well, right, Andrew? So perhaps you know, Absolutely. So, sometime in the future, you know, Malaysia could be one of the destinations to visit. 
I, I, I did hear you mentioning about investing in uh, companies in Philippines. Uh, are you guys big on this whole Southeast Asia investment scene as well? Uh, we are big in Asia as a whole. We have like investments in, in Thailand uh, and in Singapore, but like we don't have like a specific country, let's say, that we're strong in investment. We, we have like, yeah, um, one stop, let's say, investments, but we always look, we always try to uh, get a research of the market and see like, a, like from the sourcing perspective and see if we want to invest. Kind of, let's say, we're open to invest more in Asia. And this is what I've seen, like in the team, we also discussed like, okay, let's look at Vietnam because we don't have any, let's look in Taiwan, we don't have any investment there. Uh, so yeah, it's it. we have investments and we are looking for having more. So when you make these investments, would you say the investments focus on specific areas of tech? Uh, not really, because we always say that we're sector agnostic. We do not invest in some kind of like gambling or something. So we are sector agnostic, but at the same time, we do have like pillars and they are fully uh, aligned with the SDGs uh, of UN. So the point is that we would invest like mostly in uh, health tech, ed tech, logistics, uh, ed uh, yeah, education, as I mentioned. So kind of the 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 spheres that impact people's lives. Out, out of curiosity, you mentioned UN a few times, and, and I know Sitstar is kind of doing something in the UN as well. How is that relationship like, and what, what are the kind of projects that you guys are doing together in the UN, and uh, what, would, like, what, what would be some of the priorities like when, when working with the UN? Uh, in terms of relationship and how we uh, collaborate together, so normally we just apply for any like open call that UN has uh, for um, accelerating startups, let's say how it happened with the uh, care industry startups in Asia Pacific. So we applied uh, to be, um, uh, let's say, a team to execute the project that they had in mind. But at the same time, it's not just like we hand over they hand over it to us, but they uh, actually worked with us. So the collaboration was like such a high level. So we were having weekly calls with the UN women team and kind of discussing everything. And um, yeah, so in terms of uh, collab collaboration, it's tight, but it was only by project. So it's not like we are like forever working together or something. So we finished the accelerator and uh, yeah, we'll wait maybe for the next opportunity to, to work together. Yeah, when I was involved in the UN Women program, I actually felt that there was a lot of cooperation and collaboration between Seed Stars and UN. In fact, I sometimes couldn't tell who was who. So I think that was really good. Yeah, right. and actually, and actually, I, I think we've benefited a lot as a as a growing company from this uh, event that you or this project that you organize as well. Uh, mainly getting us connected to our previous podcast guest, which is uh, Mr. Philip Burr from Germany, uh, also running something similar. I think we've benefited a lot and we've learned a lot uh, as well. So if you are a startup out there, um, do pay attention you know, to all these events. You know, It could be really beneficial uh, learning experiences as well. Right, Andrew? Yeah. And, and since we're involved in the, in the aged care caregiving industry and we participated in the, in the program, how would you describe sort of looking back a few months, how the program went and how you think the company's fared and, and all of that? You mean how they progressed with the accelerator that we did? Yeah, progressed or how you felt about the overall outcome of the program. Yeah, so the program was four months almost, and uh, we we can definitely see the progress, but it's not uh, like the same progress for each company because we literally had like uh, companies in different stages. Some of them were already growth stage and quite uh, familiar, let's say even with VC, and some do not. They didn't know nothing about like venture capital or they even were considering to have technology in as their base of the business. So there were like different um, approaches that we made when we were conducting this program. So I think uh, everyone made a progress this 100 percent uh, but uh, also like talking about the goals that every startup had so for example i'm really happy to hear that it helped you with the networking and you found a great mentor uh philippe and everything like worked in this regard like some companies they uh, managed 
by being um, on a, let's say, kind of uh, promoted or in the articles or in the media of their country, they got a contract from the government. So this was kind of also indirect support of us for them to receive the government contract. Uh, and in the end, I think it was a successful program. We gave like two grants to the companies, uh, like small grants, but at least like to uh, test some some uh, growth uh, methodology that they have in mind. So overall, it was it was a great program. I think uh, everyone, at least in some kind of sort, uh, benefited from it. Right. So looking back a little bit, do you think that in the future you should look at sort of the stages the companies are in and make sure they're more aligned or is that not really an issue? Like we're a, we're a growing company and have a little more experience with investors. Some had no experience or some had no technology or did, did it work just fine as it was? That's a great point because I think we need to be, yeah, we need to be looking closely to the stages of companies. It was not that harmful, as I would say, if the companies are in the different stage because always a company that already grew, already have some knowledge, they can share it with those who don't know. But it's better, I think, to find or source uh, the companies for the program as aligned as possible on their stage. Right. So was, was that program modeled after other Seedstars accelerator programs or was it different? Um, it 100% hadn't, we had a knowledge already because we conducted like a lot of acceleration programs, even like in different parts of the world in Central Asia and in Asia before, but it was built from scratch. Like the whole, um, um, design of the program was in collaboration with UN women as well. And it was even more, I would say it was iterated during the program because uh, we were seeing like, okay, we want to introduce this, uh, gender equity part but how we're going to position it and then it turned to be a gender equity track so it's kind of was all the time modified because it's a pilot project it was a pilot project it was the first time we collaborated so again we worked together and it was built from from zero right more broadly on accelerators it seemed to me like five six seven years ago there were just maybe a handful of accelerators and now there are dozens or maybe even hundreds around the world. I sort of feel like some accelerators, I hate to say this, but they feel like they're almost some kind of money-making venture. You know, they're, they're more of a business these days and not really an accelerator program like Seed Stars. Do you see that or feel that or seen that out there in the marketplace? To be honest, as a Seed Stars employee and like working in the sector, I haven't seen it as a just like a generating revenue machine. I, okay. I did not uh, just because I work in fields and I do everything like we organize startups, we organize webinars, we, or, we do communication. And uh, I feel like we actually impact. And that's what I mentioned. We actually have pro like see the progress in startups. Uh, but um, yeah, I, I cannot say that uh, I felt it somehow. Yeah, yeah, I, I get that with seed stars. I think for me is I get a lot of emails from accelerators, and they feel more like a business pitch than they do an accelerator. I guess it's what I'm I'm thinking about. Yeah, might be. It's a different perspective. I I can feel you and see what you mean. Like uh, if you're a founder and you're bombarded like with a ton of accelerators, um, might be. Yeah, in the market <laughs> when when it concerns money, they can find like all the time different models how to make money. So maybe in some cases, yes, but I I haven't uh, seen it from this perspective. Right. So if you're a founder or have a startup and you're thinking about joining an accelerator. What are some of the things as a founder you should be looking for in a good accelerator program? I think you should not look for a good accelerator program. I think you need to assess what this accelerator is strong at and if you are aligned with this strength. So if like we always say that we are very strong in growth and if you really need growth, we will give you methodology tools you will be doing experiments we will put your growth mentor so again we don't do acceleration program on growth but we always can build one if we kind of align with a partner so the point is that if um, the company sees that this particular accelerator and i will be talking again about yc for example y combinator they are very strong on fundraising and network if this is what you need now you should apply to yc if you need growth let's say look at C 
seed stars and also network of seed stars that offers and etc. But if you or again any other knowledge, it can be more focused on like people operations, talent hiring, or something like to see. This is number one to see what this accelerator is strong at, and number two, I think you can always check who already went through this accelerator and like literally just reach out and ask companies or portfolio companies of those accelerators and see uh, if it actually helped them and what's their opinion. And the founders will be always honest about their opinions. Yeah, that, that's a good point because I, I think people don't realize that there are actually different types of accelerators with different types of goals. You mentioned growth networking, fundraising. Are there any others we're missing? Uh, I would say these three are main ones. Uh, yeah, network, fundraising, and, and growth. Or like, yeah, growth, it's sales, revenues, etc. So yeah, I would say the three. I don't know if some, someone is uh, specific in like people, operations, and, and hiring would be great, actually. Maybe someone will get it as a business idea because even now I see talking to the portfolio companies, like the main problem is hiring and finding yeah. good talents for yes. a startup. Yep. And yep. Uh, yeah, Maybe yeah, maybe there's going to be a next accelerator focus. You mentioned you mentioned just now uh, that there is some hesitation in adoption of technology among startups uh, during your experience with the accelerator programs. Uh, is it specific to the care or health tech? Uh, well, healthcare or care industry, or do you see it like uh, having a different in- industries having a similar issue as well? And what are some of the strategies that Sistars has uh, implemented to encourage founders to kind of like? go into or at least take a look at the tech approach to see if there are any breakthroughs available there. So I don't see they they were hesitating. Sometimes when you're running a business, let's say it's care industry, and I saw it in logistics as well. Sometimes you very focused in the industry, you're working in fields, and you don't even like know that something can be automated, something something can be like working better with the help of technology. So their point was not like um, to prove them that you need to to introduce technology, but just show how it can be managed faster, better, easier with the help of, of a simple tool that technology offers. So and this probably was more to, yeah, again, to show them how to. And uh, like, we don't have like a specific strategy of introducing technologies into the uh, startups, but we always look at the parts of like optimization and automation. If someone, or like, let's say promotion as well, like in the marketing part, if someone is still going like, I don't know, door to door marketing, or someone is um, using um, spreadsheet only for uh, collecting their, I don't know, customers, etc. So we always try to, opened minds and tried to see okay how we can do it with the help of i don't know simple landing page or etc so this can kind of small steps it's not we when we say like introduce technology we always think oh my god it's like something so difficult like this nano technologies like i'm actually running a simple business no we mean it's a small steps like you can do introduce one tool and it's gonna it can change your entire life and save you like tons of time to do something Right. Um, looking back at the uh, UN Women program that we participated in in the, the care industry, what was your sense of the technology that might most benefit the care industry? Did you get a sense of that having gone through the program with us? Uh, it's a good question and quite tricky. I'm trying to think. <laughs> I'm not but trying to be I, tricky. <laughs> no, I know, I know. I was trying to see like um, the most like, let's say models and what people were using were like um, just the platforms for marketplaces, uh, like to hire um, caregivers or to um, help elderly or, or children, etc. like with the help of uh, websites, like how to, to book and, and some people started to do an app even. So probably the the basics of what um, I care, care care center needs. Uh, it's uh, yeah something easy for for the needs. For example, if you need to hire a caregiver, like it needs to be like very good designed um, process on how to. And this is probably was the yeah the pattern that everyone had. It's not like in this sector technology. Like we were not looking into like machines that I don't know that help in there. But it was more on how to connect. Let's say caregiver with a. Um, with a with a family or with a person who is looking for caregiver, etc. So yeah, this was probably the companies. 
I, I can actually point out an actual example that uh, how Seed Stars, your program has helped us uh, during this accelerator, actually, by connecting with uh, Philip from uh, uh, from uh, Marta in Germany, he actually pointed out that we could use a simple CRM tool such as HubSpot to make our whole um, uh, operations process a little bit more efficient. Because before this, we were a smaller team, and uh, we can do we could do everything uh, over Google Sheet and over WhatsApp. But as we grow now, we have a team of uh, I think more than ten people. It's kind of harder to get everyone on the same page to communicate. But by Philip just pointing out a very simple example of using HubSpot as the, the tool, the CRM tool, it has really made our lives much easier. We are able to kind of keep track of all our cases. We kind of we are able to get uh, all our reports and kind of get everybody on the same page. I think this is part of the technology that True Y'all have introduced to us and has greatly benefited us uh, as a startup uh, doing the accelerator. Yeah. And it's also, it's also, fairly cost effective for us to use HubSpot. It wasn't a difficult cost decision to implement it. Uh, so it's a pretty good start for us, I think. And and just on a side note, just to mention this, SeedStars also offer up uh, different kind of offers to startups that have gone through programs with them. And there's also a collaboration in HubSpot, I believe. And because HubSpot did give us some, uh, I think, quite significant uh, discounts just because yeah. we are SeedStars graduate. So I think this is also another point to, to kind of uh, point out. To, to potential participants in the future. Yeah, I wanted to mention it. We have quite a lot of like uh, discounts from partners and HubSpot is one of them as well. We have like Hotjar and other companies that offered um, yeah discounts or one month free or any kind of yeah, value they can do for the startups. Yeah, thank you for using it. That's great. Yeah, yeah that I'm... was really great. Right. Uh, well, so... Uh, I think it's been pretty eye-opening, uh, uh, all these uh, accelerator programs. And I think in Malaysia, we, we are starting to see more and more accelerator programs approaching startups here as well. But I think there's still definitely a, a gap uh, to kind of create awareness among startups, founders here in Malaysia. And I really appreciate uh, what Sitstar is doing and also giving us the opportunity to be part of this. And also you coming up and, and sharing with us uh, on this show so that we can share with more startup founders and also get them engaged with uh, with um, your kind of um, services or events that you provide as well. Yeah, thank you so much. And um, you mentioned just one point and it came to my mind that you like founders need to be actually open to accelerators and not to think about, oh my God, it's another accelerator or someone wants to, I don't know, just attach me and do something with me. No, you like for local startups, as I know myself, like in Ukraine startups or in other like Malaysia as well and in Latin America, when they join the accelerator is just like a, such a good connection to the entire world, most likely. Like, again, depends on accelerator, but most likely you gain the context with startups that you are working with or the mentors again or any other. So for me, probably the accelerator is a network, first of all. Okay, it can be a base of the program on growth or, or fund, how to fundraise. But the main point is that you meet people who are as powerful as you are and you can do great connections you can in the end you can even expand your business to other countries just because you are at the same program with this particular startup who in the future helped you to expand to its own country so i think uh, this would be the main point to to join accelerators from my end yeah and actually i've been talking to a woman who was in the program who's in indonesia and has a caregiving company you may remember her and uh, susan neo from love care yeah yeah you know, mm -hmm. and we've been thinking about Indonesia with our technology that we're rolling out and all of that. So we have a good contact there. We have somebody in Thailand we're talking to. So that's all been very helpful as we expand our business. But also in talking with Philip in Germany, I would send him an email and say, we're thinking of trying this, you know, native uh, advertising program software company. Have you tried it? What was your, you know, success in Germany using it? Would you use Outbrain or some other company? And he would give us feedback on his experience. And that was really, really helpful. So what, what are some of the events that you're working on that's coming up next? Maybe you can share with us a little, um, especially if it's uh, in the Southeast Asia region. 
Uh, well, as I mentioned, I'm more in the part of investment team right now and probably um, worth mentioning that our website, seedstars.com, we have a part of Seedstars International and I'm going to share the link with you so you can see. Uh, we always accept applications of startups on investment. Like you can always submit your pitch and we will consider for investment, but for more like a second part of the 2022. Uh, but uh, again, the it's not like, we early stage, but we still have a criteria. So the startup needs to be growth stage and have already product market feed and to be able to invest in growth. So this is kind of, and again, emerging markets. Uh, this is the main criteria. Uh, programs wise, I know that uh, currently we just finished an SDG challenge that we conducted with Financial Times. So we're really looking forward to a new edition. And again, as soon as the new information is um, live, I will share with the Asian community. Great. So when you mentioned uh, being able to apply for investment in seed stars, are you able to tell us sort of kind of what the dollar value minimum and maximum you sort of look at? You mean in terms of the revenue that they're generating? No, no. In terms of how much you would typically invest sort of minimum or maximum. Absolutely. So we invest $50,000, uh, which uh, we do uh, cash, and then we do a fee for the program. So cash is normally around 30 k and then 20 k we take for the growth track that I am uh, conducting in a three-month program to boost the growth. But it's, um, let's say, standard formula, but it's always like negotiable, and we always kind of see case by case uh, how to, to deal with that. And um, we also offer follow-on investments uh, and follow-on is typically up to um, 500k uh, but again it's everything like case by case and sure. um, yeah this is how how it works will, will you be able to link these startups to bigger vcs for bigger quantum investments as well that's the main point. Yes. As I mentioned, I do like portfolio company support. As soon as we invest, we already uh, review with them their fundraising strategy. We review all the materials, decks, cup tables, like so they get ready. Uh, then we build together an investor's list. So we all see like what exact, uh, exact investors we want to target. And yeah, as a fourth step, we uh, help introducing investors or if they if they want someone to get introduced to. So we also help like maybe push or something. So this is another part, but we, we do it as well, of course. The, the other day I got an email from a, from a man who was running sort of an online database of investors and wanted me to pay money to join his program, to be able to access a database and talk to investors and all of that. Have you seen those kind of online programs and what do you think of them? Yeah, I've seen actually a lot of databases like that. And I also was approached many times by companies that want to offer us to kind of embed their database. So we also promoted to startups it can be even like with discounts or kind of for free not necessarily to pay but the point here that i saw and i never agreed to use it just because um the database sometimes are not updated or uh, not um, relevant because we tested it with a couple of startups and there were like NGOs or like contacts that are exactly not relevant for startups who are raising the round. So I think uh, in, in this case, if startup is getting approached and like even considering to use it, I don't say it's bad. You can use it. Maybe you will definitely find the contact there, but just make sure that the um, database is really relevant and updated. Like ask the company, okay, do you have investors and how many investors like in Asia or like US, the one that you are targeting, how many do they have? And maybe even run the test before uh, before paying or like using this source. Like ask, okay, can you give me like five investors just to see like how your database looks like? Yeah, I looked into this one software company that had a database and it looked interesting, but two things I noticed, it looked a little complicated. And I feel like in investing, you lose the personal touch when trying to raise money. Maybe you get to that stage for these software programs or databases. I don't know, but it sort of turned me off a little bit. I felt like reaching out to investors, having in-person meetings, getting to know them, doing all of that seems to make more sense, at least for me. 
Yeah, I definitely agree with you. And this is what I mentioned, like the relevance of investors. So you don't want to get a database and send like the same email to 100 of contacts. No, you really need to tap into database and to see if this investor suits your values and your like goals, etc. So if it does, then yeah, you do a personalized email, you do a call, etc. And you kind of get to know each other. And this is what we learn at Seedstars as well, or like teach and learn as well teach to startups that you are going to be working with person. You're going to be minimum sending the monthly updates to this person and the person going to be checking on you and like you're going to be a collaboration. So if you just randomly onboarded investor, it doesn't make any sense. Right, right. How, how do you see like the trend of cross-country investing? Because like there's always this fear among, as a, as a Malaysian entrepreneur, right? There's always this fear from me of uh, approaching investors from another country, another culture, another back, uh, a whole new different background. Um, do, you see, do you see a lot of success in cross-country international kind of investing? And uh, how would you tell me to, uh, if you think that is a good idea, how would you encourage me to, to go for it and, and, and not be so fearful about taking money from foreign investors? I think it's a great idea. I think it's a good idea always to look further and like, yeah, work with international investors. But there are some like main points to look at. I would say the first one is to make sure that the fund that you are reaching out to actually invests in your country. And this is sometimes like a miscommunication, misconception. Like, okay, you just, okay, if you're from Asia and you want to reach out to a fund in Africa, just make sure that among the countries that invest in, they have uh, Asia or something something like so Asian country so because this is sometimes yeah looks um, weird Uh, and the second point I think also the tricky part is a legal part but now uh, as I see it can be solved like especially when European funds are investing in Asia or in Central Eastern Europe uh, they already know like how to deal with the legal part of of, um, onboarding the startups so but just yeah to make sure everything works properly and yeah I would always encourage to look further and see for uh, look at the international investors. Do you see a lot of success though? Like a lot of success of cross cross country or international investments? Uh, yes, it also depends like from which countries are talking about like a lot of European US funds are investing in uh, in emerging markets and this is great. Um, I don't know if I have an example of uh, like, let's say Latin America country investing into Asia. Like I don't know any example, but uh, i for sure know that if it happens it it should be a success right right i think i think european uh vcs have a longer history of investing in asia and yes. many of them also have offices say in singapore yes yes that's true and uh yeah we have uh, even in our network in, in switzerland we have founders that for example uh specifically invest only in central asia for example or specifically investing in uh russian speaking founders or specifically, again, investing in, in Singapore like and uh, Asia-Pacific countries. So, yeah, they exist. And uh, that's, again, coming back to my point in finding the relevant investor and, uh, yeah, doing the, the basic research on who you want to work with. Right. Yeah, that, that's been great. That's been really insightful. Um, well, uh, I, I also noticed that you mentioned a few times that you, you are from Ukraine and and. I kind of like to, you know, segue a little bit and and sidetrack a little bit to talk about the the situation in Ukraine. We are we are not any news outlet or any propaganda. So whatever we say here, there's no agenda, there's no purpose. It's just kind of like want to find out more about like how, how how what's going on there and do you have family there and how are they coping? How's the whole situation? Like if you don't mind sharing with us. Yeah, I can share. I I thank you for like saying it's not propaganda, and I also want to take out my like hat of being platform manager at Seedstars, and I want to just maybe talk for this the few couple of minutes as the like Eugenia from uh, Odessa originally, and uh, uh, I lived my whole life in Kiev before I yeah decided to to move and uh, live in Mexico. So uh, as a Ukrainian. Um, I cannot find the words what's happening because it's hard, it's insane, it's unprecedented. And it's a real war that one country is doing against another country. And now it's Russia invaded Ukraine. This is, again, as my opinion is, um, we have two wars. One is Russia killing Ukrainians right now as we speak. 
And another one is an informatic war that my even friends in Russia that left, a couple of them, they cannot see the news. They cannot see any information rather than their national TV. And this is like impossible to believe in 2022, but this is what's happening. Uh, and um, yeah, this is kind of part of, uh, as I see it, and Another part is my family that is in Kiev. My father and my two brothers and my father's wife are in Kiev. My mom is in Odessa. Uh, and um, yeah, it's been six days and they're going uh, into the shelters as soon as alarm uh, goes and alarm goes like every two hours. Mm. Um, yeah, it's, um, yeah, our president, as I see again, I'm not uh, like... I can't say I'm very patriotic, but as you see, I live in Mexico. I was not like very, very Ukrainian, but now I really feel like I want to go back. I want to do something in my country. It like shifts your mindset so much that being here, I cannot help with real stops. Okay, I can help. I try to uh, promote maybe among my friends and social media, trying to speak here, just like what's happening and the people are dying but they're literally like dying people again i say i never use any like propaganda comments so like weird articles or like sharing politics as people it called no people are dying in ukraine and children being bombed and this is unbelievable what's happening and every day my routine is to wake up and kind of oh, my parents are still alive i hope so so kind of uh, because yeah you, you cannot live because everything is happening like the first bomb it was in front of my house in kiev i live on the 19th floor in the skyscraper in kiev and the first bomb was like right in front I had a person who was renting my flat there he left to the village with his parents as well so um, I pray so my flat stay. So, but again, I don't care about flat at all. I really pray for my parents, like have food and water and uh, staying alive. And they told me, like, we're so happy that you're in Mexico. At least you're gonna stay alive. And I cannot even hear that. Like, I oh. couldn't stop crying for five days. And this is a this is a catastrophe. Yeah, it, it's it's whatever reasons they have to start wars. Uh, whenever we hear things like this, I think it really breaks our heart. Um, me and Andrew, being in care, being in the care industry, we we are really people that are, that have empathy and we care for people as well. So hearing all this uh, really is really really tough and really challenging. Uh, bringing back to the point you were saying that there's also an information war going on. Are you saying that people in Russia cannot access the internet right now? Uh, even through VPNs and not and whatnot. Uh, I think they can access internet. Some some people just do not search or didn't look. They just watch TV and kind of uh, everything is good. Uh, but I know that like personally, a couple of my friends they try to do VPN, but they cannot access the videos on Instagram, for example, on social media like that considered as propaganda uh, from our side. So they cannot uh, see like Facebook, Instagram, some pages and videos. Yeah. Yeah, like, like I, I've been on Twitter a lot following very closely these last six days. I mean, I haven't been sleeping even. I'm just so upset about this. And you see these horrific videos going on in Odessa and Kiev and other cities that Ukrainians are posting. And I sense that Russians aren't seeing those terrible videos. That's what's happening. I don't know. Maybe, yeah, they, they are not seeing. Like, first of all, on their TV is not shown. With, like, I know that even uh, other, like, European countries in Ukraine trying to do kind of a, not cyber attacks, but trying to kind of push notifications from their apps. And I know one Ukrainian app is doing it. Oh, my God, it's such a blessing that they, uh, like, there are, I don't know how many, but tons of Russian users of this app. So they push notification on what's happening. So at least, like, rising awareness like that but yeah as you say we we do post but um again i also maybe have only my opinion and like in my surroundings but they do not see like in different parts of russia they do not see what's happening yeah and, and on the other hand too i mean i have to say i feel bad for the average russian as well for example i have a friend that runs a youtube channel out of st petersburg and his focus is english speaking know what it's like to live in Russia and he travels around the country and he posted a video a couple of days ago. He's scared to death that he's not going to have a YouTube channel where he gets the majority of his income right now, that that's going to get cut off very soon. So I feel bad for the average Russian who's relied on international technology and YouTube as content creators that are also going to be harmed by what's going on. 
I know. I know this. I know everyone is scared. Um, some people are, um, yeah, don't want to even speak up. Like I know the artists or singers or anyone, right. they just being silent because they're afraid and I understand everything. Uh, but at the same time, I just want to show the example of 2014 in Ukraine when we were standing and we all of us went on the streets and we managed to uh, be like what we wanted to be and the president that we wanted to have and not the one that were put there. So um, I still believe in the power of of people and that one day everyone will get out of their houses i'm so sorry it haven't happened now but again this is like what people how people act and what they see i cannot make them go i cannot like be propagandist or whatever i I, like in my opinion just wait until everyone has the, the, the common sense. I know the common sense is not common, but I really hope that it's going to happen one day. That like, again, for the, for the truth, my, my grand-grandfather was sitting in the prison 17 years because he said the truth. And um, my family urged me to, to speak up about it, but I'm like, I just speak about suffer of people. I speak about like how my family is hurt. They are hurt. My brother, who is eight years old, I talked to him like, how are you? He's like, we're surviving here. We are surviving here. The person of eight years old is telling me. So it's, and and uh, if someone says like, oh my God, just like also be like calm. And I cannot be calm because if it's personal, it is personal. And uh, yeah, let's let's hope for the best. And yeah. I should mention, you mentioned 2014 when Ukrainians effectively threw out a, I don't know how you want to call it, a corrupt president who wanted to who wanted to side with Russia and not the West. There's a great Netflix movie called Winter on Fire and uh, I, about that 2014. And I, I would highly recommend that everybody see Winter on Fire about the Ukrainians and what they did in 2014. Yeah, and, and really, I, I really can't imagine... Uh, I can't even imagine what 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 they are going through through right now. I mean, I've been educated in Russia. I've been in Moscow for six years, and uh, I know the average person on the street, the people there, they are not uh, evil people for sure. I think this is just a, a, a issue with the leadership uh, of the of the countries, and uh, unfortunately, many innocents are uh, innocent lives are affected as a result. And uh, and you saying that I mean, bombs going off in front of your house and everything. At, at what point do they? Would, at what point would your family decide to to kind of leave the city and when is it when it becomes too dangerous and and what what's going to happen if, if, if it comes to that point so we are not leaving the city uh, we are staying uh, in Ukraine my father stays with his family in Kiev my mom stays with her family in Odessa uh, we missed the time to leave it was late to leave I was also asked by my friend like uh, what was the decision to to stay? Uh, it happened at four a.m. on um, on the morning. The bomb started to go into different cities in in Ukraine at the same time. And uh, before, and even my family was saying that it was educational studies and the form of bank tanks and everything like that. The military was kind of getting ready. They were saying that it's just like as a part of education for militaries, etc. So it was unexpected i would say so we were not and when it went to the point that the bomb started going on in the cities we wanted to leave but it was very dangerous so if you're in kiev in geographically it's far away to go to moldovian or romanian um uh, border because tanks started to go from crimea from uh, from down there and from uh, belarus as well so from these two parts so you cannot re- it was dangerous to to move in the country uh, for Odessa as well. Uh, and the second uh, point is that in um, maybe one day or two days, the whole uh, exit of the man from 16 to 60 years old is prohibited. You cannot leave the country. 
uh, because even my very good friend in Ukraine, in Odessa, she has two children and she went to Moldovan border with her family and uh, her husband was not able to cross the border and he went back to Odessa and the, the family went to Moldova. Only she with two babies by car driving somewhere and the guy left in in Odessa. And uh, yeah, a lot of people tried and trying right now, but yeah, men are not allowed to leave the country. Yeah, uh, this is the first time I'm I'm feeling like crying on a podcast. We have done more than we have done a dozen episodes, but this is really heartbreaking. And uh, and uh, I really, really, I, I'm praying praying for all of you. Uh, we don't know what else we can do here, um, but I know for a fact that uh, you know we we are one people, whatever race or background or country we are. We are all human beings, and and when all these are happening, we are actually uh, a very um, distressed as well. Uh, we, we might not be able to understand, but we feel the pain and uh, we're definitely praying with you all and uh, we, we hope that your family in Ukraine is going to be safe and and this thing is going to blow over as, as soon as possible. Yeah. Thank you so much. I have two quotes all the time in my mouth that call me down. First of all, I know that what we are fighting for and they do not know. Some people are just sent there and they don't know what they're doing. And we know what we are fighting for. So this is, and it's easier to fight on our territory. So we, we're going to win. And the second, I always think that the good always wins bad because they came to our land. We do not ask. We do not pray for them to come. We do not need any Russian, any other um, nationality to enter our homes and do the terrorist attacks in our homes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're coming up to the top of the hour. I think that's a great uh, point to end the conversation. Um, again, we are praying with you. Um, we, we really, really pray that, that this thing is this going to turn out well and uh, it's going to blow over as soon as possible. And I really thank you. I appreciate the time that you spent for us. I know it's really early now in Mexico. Uh, and thank you for getting up early and, and, and also joining us and sharing us all these insights about accelerators, about investments, and uh, definitely very eye-opening. And also thank you for sharing your side of the story of what's going on in your home country. And uh, I think this is going to be um, uh, eye-opening for some Malaysians as well as they listen to this podcast. Yeah, Andrew, do you have anything else to add? You know, I, I would offer help, but I feel sort of like I don't know what I can do except to promote Ukraine, to ask people to help, to tell the stories, donate some money. I mean, I, I think those are the things that I can do as an American, I guess. I wish I could do a lot more. Yeah, but these are the right steps. Like, yeah, thank you for that. Sure. Yeah. So thank you once again. Uh, all the links that uh, Eugenia mentioned just now will be in our description section. Uh, so you can go there, visit Sistar website, see whether it's suitable for you. If you want to find out more about their work, it's def definitely going to be on the website as well. And um, so if you are, um, have any questions, have any inquiries, please do contact them directly. I'm sure you're going to be able to benefit from uh, some of their programs, like how we benefited from the programs, the accelerators as well. Um, and on that note, uh, thank you very much once again, Eugenia. We're going to end the conversation. Uh, all the best. Take care, stay safe, and um, see you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we'll stay in touch. Thank all you. Right, take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This is the Dr. Podcast.